Welcome back to the program. There is a school of thought in crisis management that says if you have a completely intractable problem, sometimes the only solution is to create a larger problem. In fact, to blow things up to the point that you get to start over. Sometimes that's a strategy that happens not just by design, but by outcome. When Newark Mayor Cory Booker, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg put together a plan that they thought would completely reform and transform Newark schools back in 2010, they thought they were doing the right thing. However, what they did was reminiscent of the old Ronald Reagan joke when he declared that the nine most terrifying words in the English language were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. What they did, what they failed at, and even what they succeeded at show how incredibly hard it is to be transformative in the realm of public education. We're going to talk about this unique experiment today with my guest, Dale Russikoff. Dale spent 28 years as a reporter for the Washington Post covering politics, education, social policy, and numerous other topics. Her new book is The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools? Dale Russikoff, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a delight to have you here. Tell us a little bit about the state of Newark Public Schools in 2010, first of all. Well, the Newark schools were in a state of total disrepair, um, physical, academic, um, the politics surrounding the schools. Um, but the, the, um, the, the specific data um, that, uh, that describes how students were doing is something that you hear in you know one urban district after the next. Uh, in Newark, the numbers were that only 40% of students were at grade level in grades uh, third through eighth grade um, on reading and math. And in high school, just over 50% of students were actually graduating. And of those who did graduate, 90% of them needed to take remedial courses just to qualify for college-level work at the local community college. So the system was really not serving kids, and there was the beginning of a pretty robust um, charter movement in Newark. Um, 20% of students had had, uh, had left the school district to go into charter schools, which was a signal that, you know, that, that parents were beginning to become disaffected with the schools as well. And the state had stepped in to take over a significant portion of the school district. Oh, yes. The state completely took over the school district in 1995. So that for 15 years, the state had been in charge because the school district was so eaten alive with corruption and neglect of kids um, in throughout the 80s and 90s that the state um, came in and took over. The state did clean up some of the corruption, but um, really had not done anything to improve the educational outcomes of the kids in all that time. And when this plan came together in 2010, when Cory Booker and Chris Christie and, and Mark Zuckerberg came together to, to really devise this for Zuckerberg to put in $100 million, talk a little bit about how that emerged. Well, it was kind of an interesting political alliance of Chris Christie and Cory Booker that had happened uh, about six or seven months before the Zuckerberg announcement. Um, Christie had just been elected governor in 2009, upsetting a Democrat, John Corzine. And Corzine was a very traditional Democrat in terms of his views of public education. He was aligned with the teachers' union, which was and continues to be the biggest political contributor in New Jersey and you know, in the state legislature, for example. And so you know, he was not 
um, a supporter of charter schools, nor was he a supporter of all of the accountability measures that had become kind of the calling card of the education reform movement, where they were trying to grade teachers by the students' test scores and have, you know, requirements that teachers, um, in, unless they were moving their students um, on the state test, would not get raises or maybe wouldn't even keep their tenure. Um, though all of those were the ideas of the education reform movement that Cory Booker and Chris Christie completely agreed on. And um, Booker approached Christie in 2009 after his election as he said he thought it was a once-in-a-generation chance to get this right, meaning, you know, how you run schools and how you run particularly schools in the poorest urban communities. And so he approached Christie and said, let's, let's transform the Newark schools together because you, as governor, have complete power over them, um, and I have the bully pulpit in Newark, and let's go get a philanthropist to help us bring all the reforms that the education reform movement stands for. And let's, as, as in the words that Cory Booker used when he solicited Mark Zuckerberg, let's flip a district. How did they get Zuckerberg involved? Well, that was totally a result of um, Cory Booker's remarkable social network of his own. Um, he <clears throat> had a donor who was very close to Zuckerberg and knew that Mark Zuckerberg, at age 26, was about to do his first big, um, well, his first act as a philanthropist. And he knew that Zuckerberg was looking to do it in education. He also knew that Cory Booker was a big fan of charter schools and the education reform movement and thought that it would be a perfect match. So he actually arranged, you know, put the two of them in contact with each other. They met at um, a big retreat that's held every year in Sun Valley, Idaho, for leaders and um billionaires in the communications industry, in the media industry, and um, it's the the entrepreneurs meet with um, potential investors, and there are also major politicians and celebrities in, invited, and so it turned out that both Cory Booker and Mark Zuckerberg were going to this retreat for the first time ever, and this is where they met, and Zuckerberg said to him, I want to do something big in education, and Cory Booker said, you know, boy, do I have a city for you, <laughs> and that's how it all became, and, you know, it, it Zuckerberg was completely swept off his feet, as many wealthy donors have been before when they met Cory Booker, and, and his words afterwards were that, that he, his reaction was, this is somebody who can create change, this is someone I want to invest in. And I don't think that there was a tremendous amount of due diligence that went into it. It was just, this is where I want to put my money. Was there a plan? Did Christie and Booker have a specific plan in place, specific personnel in place, even before they went out and recruited Zuckerberg and his $100 million? Well, they had a, they had a set of ideas. I would not call it a plan. Um, and the, the ideas were to dramatically expand the charter schools in Newark and to bring all kinds of accountability measures to bear within the traditional school district. So that would mean, you know, rating teachers by their student test scores, making it easier easier to fire teachers, close the failing schools, replace them with charters or with models from other states that have performed well in urban communities. Um, it was all, you know, this idea that we're going to use the models, the, the idea that, that there are models in other places that can be brought to cities like Newark and imposed in Newark and succeed, um, rather than looking at 
Newark as its own ecosystem with its own unique problems. So the the uh, the approach was to you know to, to do what they called systems change at the top, and the belief that that would travel down to the schools and manifest itself in better student achievement. But it wasn't you know there was no sort of provision at all to look at what the issues were in the classroom and in the schools that were a result of children living in the specific conditions that they live in in Newark, which is, you know, in that school district, the students live in extreme poverty. They witness violence regularly. There's a lot of family instability and transience. They witness family strife on a regular basis. Um, the schools, you know, the question was, if you're going to change the systems at the top, what kind of systems are you going to create in schools and what kind of resources to allow the principals and the teachers to support the kids in ways that can help them learn. And the way this launched, the way the public became aware of this, and the public in Newark, New Jersey as well, was when Mark Zuckerberg went on the Oprah Winfrey show. That's exactly right. The announcement was kept very secret. And so, you know, the uh, Oprah's national television audience knew as soon as the parents of Newark that a revolution was coming to their children's schools. What was the initial reaction in Newark? Well, interestingly, it wasn't, you know, I would say it was ambivalent. Um, the people in Newark um, were, I mean, I, I started working on this literally the day it was announced, and I went to Newark a couple days later to just kind of, you know, walk around and go into restaurants and stop at bus stops and ask people what they thought. And, you know, most people seemed to know about it, um, and some people thought, it was, you know, quite a windfall, but there was this undercurrent of suspicion, like why, like the waitress at the, this uh, very popular restaurant um, where I ate said, you know, what is it that all these white billionaires want with our mayor? Um, and why is this being announced on television instead of here in Newark if it's about our kids? And the suspicion was that Cory Booker and Chris Christie were doing this at least as much for their own national career, you know, their their next step politically to get national attention as opposed to really deal with the issues on the ground in Newark. On the other side of the equation, though, this is a school district that had been failing for many years. As you say, the state took it over in, in 1995. It hadn't gotten appreciably better except for some of the corruption being weeded out by 2010. Where did any of the stakeholders in the current system have any kind of clout or any kind of position at all to criticize what was going on, given how long they had been in a position of failure? Well, I think that's a really good point. The, you know, what this the opposition to these reforms uh, reached such a fever pitch that um, at one point um, a, a leading pastor in Newark went to Christie and said he really feared there could be more, there could be another riot in Newark. Um, you know, a, a civil disturbance that could really shut down the city. And yet, you know, all the years that the schools were failing so miserably, there was never an uprising, you know. And so you had to wonder, like, you know, so where's the constituency for better schools in Newark? But the truth is that there was, I, I think the fact that the state had always, you know, had controlled the schools for so long had just kind of, um, chilled any real coalescing and discussion of how to make the schools better because if you if you went around Newark there were a lot of very prominent people 
who really felt urgently that the schools needed to change and needed to improve. And um, one of them uh, was a very, you know, august, respected professor at Rutgers named Clement Price. Um, and he had said to me that at the very beginning of all this, there was such a consensus in Newark that we needed change in the schools. And the tragedy, from his point of view, was instead of mobilizing that consensus and building on it, it kind of just froze it out. And the whole question became, how do we get these people out of here? And not, how do we how do we use this moment to improve our schools? It certainly gave the impression in that that there was a larger consensus for keeping the status quo, which was so ineffective. Yes, and I think it was because, you know, I mean, you know that expression, he's a crook, but he's our crook? Right. Um, I, I think that not, not that, you know, people were saying that the status quo was, kind of, status quo was corrupt, but, um, you know, if you, had to trust, if you had to pick who you trusted, they trusted the devil they knew. Um, and that was in part because the way that this reform was carried out was, was so clearly from the beginning to, you know, like, like the point that you made, who, who has who has the um, the authority in within this system to oppose reforms um, well I think that that kind of what that what that is saying is that nobody in this system knows what they're doing and we need to come in and just move you aside and fix you um, and I think that people forgot you know in doing that that in any failing school there are terrific teachers who are who are laboring in the vineyards to try to to reach kids, and there are people who have been you know retired teachers and principals all throughout the city who had tremendous knowledge of what kids needed and how the system needed to change. And instead of finding those people and recognizing that there are always people like that within a failing system, the fact that people like that keep working in a failing system says so much about their determination and their you know their belief in education. And by not talking to those people and not involving them in figuring out what the kids in the schools needed, they it was not only like a political mistake that backfired, it was also just a strategic mistake because those are the people who can tell you what the schools need and what it's going to take, and they were not involved at all. Why did that happen, given that at the top of this were two very successful politicians? Cory Booker, in particular, who was there on the ground in Newark, who was successful as a politician, as a retail politician. Why didn't he understand from the very beginning, from Zuckerberg's appearance on on Oprah, that the optics of this, if nothing else, were not playing the way it was intended? You know, I think that they just decided that they were going to damn the, the torpedoes. It was their, their view, and it was, it was a view that they developed with the best of intentions, was that if you make this a democratic process, it will be overtaken by the forces, the worst forces of, that defend the status quo, such as political bosses who have tremendous clout in Newark, or um, the unions, which also have tremendous clout and a following. And I think their belief was that to keep those people from, you know, from, over, from taking over this whole process, um, that they had to move almost like in the dead of night and with the speed of light <laughs> um, to, to just impose all these changes before the opposition could coalesce. And I think that, first of all, they weren't able to do that, even though the state has 
almost total power over the schools in Newark. There was still a, a tremendous amount of grassroots energy in Newark, and there is a, a long history of Newark having been acted upon all throughout history as opposed to acted alongside or acting with Newark. And, you know, out, outsiders with a lot of wealth and power have basically imposed their dreams and their will on the city for good or for ill over the last you know, 40 years since it's great, since it's declined from having been a major city. And so there's this sense of almost like one of the city councilmen described it as almost like a paranoia, um, a xenophobia, that when outsiders come in with big ideas and big money, Newark reacts. And so that's, that's what happened. And there was just almost like an instant, you know, equal and opposite reaction to this reform effort from the ground level in Newark. And tell us about Cami Anderson, who's the woman that they brought in to run this, to do this program. Well, Cami Anderson was a really fascinating figure. I mean, she they picked her a year after their efforts had begun. So already there had been, you know, um, millions of dollars that went to consulting firms to carry out reforms that the public didn't know anything about and so and it became public that these reform these consultants were making a thousand dollars a day you know in a city where the poverty level is you know 45 percent of children are born below the poverty line in newark and so there was just such a you know a extreme a sense of extremes with these you know these reformers and their expensive consultants coming in and imposing you know, plans on this impoverished city. So into all that, a year later, comes Cami Anderson. And um, she, um, she she actually was very outspoken about the costs of kind of blitzkrieg reforms in a city like Newark. She was concerned, you know, what would happen to the school district as, you know, thousands of children left en masse for charters because the, the money would go with them and the school district would be in a situation of constantly closing schools and laying off teachers and consolidating schools and moving thousands of children around. And this was not, an, you know, this was not going to be conducive to improving the district schools, um, which were supposed to be part of the plan. When Cory Booker said, we're going to flip a city, he didn't just say, we're going to build charter schools. He said, we're going to build an educational model for the whole nation throughout Newark. He said, we're going to, in his words, create a hemisphere of hope. And in her view, the district schools were being, you know, left out and, in fact, put at an extreme disadvantage. So she was very outspoken about this. But as time went on, she came to embrace the whole strategy of expanding charters and bringing accountability to the district schools. Um, and she had a plan that she called One Newark, um, which, you know, was made it sound like it was a, a unified um you know, effort from the ground up, but it was not at all. It, that was just her term. It, it was, it, it splintered Newark in a million directions, and um, partly because I think she thought she was taking on all of the complications of urban education reform and trying to solve all of them at once. And um, the result was that, you know, one third of the schools were closed or consolidated or trans, you know, transformed or repurposed and 
you know, thousands of kids had to change schools and the whole system of enrolling in school was changed so that instead of everybody going to a neighborhood school, now everybody chose a school, either a charter or a district school, in an online application. And it was just this tremendous upheaval in the way education was experienced in Newark by parents and kids and teachers. And again, much like the, you know, the, the very beginning of this process, she did not vet these, you know, chaotic changes with the people of Newark. She just announced it all at once, saying that this is 16-dimensional chess. It's too complicated to be vetted because everybody's going to have an objection, and as soon as you meet one objection, then you create others. So she she felt that she, you know, that her her ideas didn't need that kind of vetting, and it turned out that they were just way too disruptive for people to accept. And as you may know, um, she became, and her plan became such an issue that the two mayoral candidates were running in practice almost as much against her as they were against each other. And the, the mayor who was elected, the first mayor elected after Cory Booker, Raz Baraka, was um, kind of the anti-Booker and the anti-reform candidate. It's interesting that they didn't, that, that Booker or others didn't learn anything from the experience in Washington, D.C., the experience that Michelle Rhee ran there, because that was coming to an end. That was blowing up in 2010, just as this was coming online. That's exactly right. I mean, she, um, you know, the mayor um, who had brought her to Washington um, and defended her had just been defeated right. for re-election by an opponent um, who made a, a very big issue of her reforms and the kind of top-down nature of them, the lack of democratic and community involvement. Um, and, you know, actually, Cory Booker made a lot of, paid a lot of lip service to that. When he was on television announcing this, he said, this is going to be bottom-up reform. This is going to be done by the people of Newark. We're not going to have people from the outside dropping in. But that basically turned out to be just his description of it. On tele- for television, because what really happened in Newark was exactly that. What part of it worked? Where was where was any success in all of this effort and all of this money being spent? Well, I'm sure that the reformers would say that you know having a dramatic increase in the number of charter schools was success, because in general, Newark charters perform you know, significantly better than district schools. Now, they do have a less needy population, and um, while some of them have a a comparable percentage of special needs students, those students don't have the severe needs of the students, the special needs students in Newark, like autism, behavior disorders, things that are just common in the district schools are not common in the charter schools. Um, But I do think that, you know, for average students, Um, there probably is, um, you know, a a great advantage to being in some of the best charter schools um, that have started in Newark. Um, But the the other thing that they tout is that they got a new teacher's contract, which does have, you know, a lot more accountability for teachers in it. Um, But um, the the contract has already expired, and um, it's not at all clear that the union is going to agree to another one like it, because the reason that they agreed to that in the first place was that Mark Zuckerberg took $31 million of his money and paid the teachers for three years of back pay 
that they hadn't gotten. They had worked for three years without a contract because they couldn't agree on one until this came up. And um, so they so, so none of the existing teachers had gotten a raise in three years, and the union refused to come to the table until those raises were paid. So Zuckerberg actually paid them out of his pocket, out of his philanthropy, just to come to the table and gave raises to all the teachers in the district, even though the whole message was we need to change this group of teachers because they're not performing well. What did Zuckerberg learn from this experience? Well, I think he actually learned a lot, and it's very evident um, because, you know, he initially came into this thinking, well, we can just develop a model here in Newark and then take it to city after city and solve the problems of education. He, and, and that was his plan to find, he was, you know, early on he was looking, what's my next city, what's my city after that. They're no longer looking to, to solve education as if they could apply, it, apply a model to it the way you would in a startup. Uh, situation. His next gift um, is even larger than the Newark gift. It's $120 million, but he's giving it um, to schools and school districts in the Bay Area um, on the belief that you can't do this, you know, from afar. You have to do it in in a community that you know. And he's having the staff people in his philanthropy spend just a tremendous amount of time at the ground level in the community with parents, with teachers, with school leaders, district leaders, charter as well as public school to try to, you know, understand, A, what are the desires of the community? Does our goal dovetail with their goals? And B, what are the real needs of children that others miss? Um, and you can only, you know, and the view is you can only learn that by really knowing the, the parents and, you know, knowing children through the eyes of parents and teachers. And that's just so different from the way they proceeded in Newark. And I think it's, you know, it's a very positive conclusion he's come to. It comes back to the point we talked about earlier because it is antithetical to a, a kind of business approach where you're, you're suddenly going to the people who have been part of the failing system and asking for their advice. Yes, well, I think that the mistake is you're not, you shouldn't go to the union leaders and you shouldn't go to the political bosses who have controlled the system because they're the ones that are responsible for its failures. You should go to the people inside the system who know the children best. There are people throughout these school districts that are seen as failures who, who want very much for the schools to change and would be enthusiastic about having a role in changing them. But you can't just you can't just go to the you know to the most famous people in the district and find them. You've got to do it at the ground level, at the community level, which I think is what's so interesting about what Zuckerberg is doing. He's not trying, you know, to bring a, a model in and say this is how we're going to fix this. I think he has his own ideas, and he and, and the people who run his philanthropy definitely have ideas. But they're making sure that those ideas make sense when you think about the community level and the school level in the classroom level. And that, you know, I think that that's where the real answer is, that, you know, it's not like, oh, you can only do bottom-up reform or you can only do top-down reform. You have to do both. You have to do it with real understanding of what the reality is and the lives that the children are living that so affect their, you know, their capacity to come into a classroom and learn even from the very best teachers. Right. The other part that, that becomes clear in this story, and it relates to what you were saying about Zuckerberg, concentrating on in the Bay Area in an area that, that he knows that he lives in, 
is that part of the reason that it seems so difficult to create a model that will work for everywhere, that, that it, it doesn't scale or replicate so easy, is that the culture of the particular area, or in this case, the culture of the district in Newark, becomes so integral to trying to do any kind of reform. Absolutely, because, you know, any school district or any, you know, yeah, any school district is really an ecosystem. And it's just, it, you know, it, it's so much a product of the people and the issues that fill that system. And, um, you know, it seems that the real takeaway for me is <clears throat> you have to get the resources to the school level and you have to have school leaders who are incredibly skilled, not only, you know, at, um, at instructional leadership, um, so that you know, so that they're able to develop and support the teachers they have, but who are also able to see the school um, in terms of its needs and and a, with a strategic mind about how do you take those resources at the school level and build the supports in your school to address the needs of the kids. And that's when you really think of it as an ecosystem, not as you know something that you can plug a model into that came from somewhere else. Dale Rusikoff, her book is The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools. Dale, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.